Welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Jane Tarrant, and today I'm speaking with Tim Guest. He's an experienced executive and non-executive director, leadership mentor, business strategist, cultural change agent, husband, father, and speaker. He has recently had a life-threatening condition that it was only when he stopped and stepped off the treadmill of life that he gave himself a space to think about the symptoms he was having and whether they would need to be looked into. The procedure made Tim realise how much we take the health of our mind and our body for granted. Since then, he's made a number of changes in the way he lives and the way in which he approaches life. He may have lost a few years off the end of his life, but he's really keen to make sure that the years he does have are so much better quality. Tim, can you explain what's been happening over the last few months for you? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, January this year, or end of January, I was fortunate enough to exit from a business that I used to run. I had plans to set up my own business management consultancy and also relocate with, with the family somewhere. And then, like everybody, we, we got hit with homeschooling, we got hit with lockdown, we got hit with a massive fall in, in, in business as well. And it was a tough time for everybody. One evening, because I had slightly more time on my hands, I suppose, I, I just started Googling a few symptoms. I, I'd not been feeling great for, for some time. I'd been uh, suffered with, with insomnia and um, sort of this strange pain behind my eyes and uh, various other sort of very minor symptoms that, that individually weren't anything to worry about. And I suppose because I'd been busy, I'd just put them to one side. Uh, and one of the things that Google threw up was this one in 250,000 chance condition, um, which I thought, well, possibly sounds a bit like me, but it's got more chance of winning on a scratch card than that. Um, so I, I found a consultant and got myself referred through my GP. And it turned out I actually did have a, a, a tumour uh, on my pituitary gland, which is in my head, um, a non-cancerous tumour. Um, but I had to deal with, with, with sort of video calls with surgeons and neurologists and things and you're hearing these words tumor and head and neurosurgery and, and automatically think the worst and unfortunately because of the coronavirus we couldn't do anything for three and a half to four months so i just sort of spent the summer waiting knowing what i had to to, to have done um and it was a bit of a tough time where well, it was a tough time but then finally got a date for the surgery mid-august uh, and then you and i spoke two two weeks after the surgery which was uh, six weeks ago on Thursday. Absolutely and is this a life-threatening condition? It is and the majority of people don't realise that they've got it until they're dead. Um, it will take 10 to 15 years off your life this is what I was told and I'm, I'm 43 now. Um, I have no idea how long I, I, I'm going to live, but 10 to 15 years when you've got family and children is, is a long time. And, and the problem is that it causes um, internal organs to, to get bigger. So the, my heart was bigger than it should be and needed more blood. Uh, my airways were also slightly restricted, which meant my lungs were getting slightly less oxygen. And, and, uh, and it just kills you by either you get diabetes or you have a stroke or a heart attack. And uh, a lot of people don't realize they've got it. But after the surgery, everything is reversed almost instantly so I'm, I'm glad I found it really. Absolutely now most people would say if you've got symptoms don't google it because you'll end up <laughs> thinking you've got something really outlandish but actually 
sometimes it's worth having an awareness not not necessarily googling something but at least looking into possibilities um or at least going to talk to someone about the kind of symptoms you're having so can you actually describe the 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 kind of range of what you thought were very insignificant symptoms that actually did turn out to be something I'm not saying if somebody had these symptoms it would be the same thing what I'm saying is how insignificant were these symptoms for you to easily overlook them during a normal busy life I think symptoms are, are different in, in everybody that, that's, that's had the condition from what I can work out. But there are there are some sort of traits, really. But in, in me, it was I was suffering with uh, insomnia. So I hadn't really slept very well in, in four years. I put that down to the fact I was busy and, and stressed all the time. Um, the, the doctors said that I had very high sugar levels, high glucose levels. And apparently I was pre-diabetic, even though um, I eat very little sugar i don't drink fizzy drinks i go to the gym three four times a week i run um and yeah that was just an, an unusual thing i'm thinking oh, okay this is just unlucky i have high blood pressure i did have high blood pressure as well again you know they said told me to control my diet they told me you know i, I don't smoke i don't drink a lot um so yeah there's no reason for these things and and um, another strange one was that i felt that my my tongue was slightly bigger than it should be i know that sounds weird but it's just that that feels weird and I thought you know under normal, normal circumstances I probably wouldn't have googled it but because of lockdown and stuff I had more time on my hands so I started looking into it and did you you had said you had some pain as well did you say behind the oh, yes. eyes and somewhere else yeah not not quite a headache not sinus pain but you know funnily enough right where this tumor thing was literally in the middle of the head used to feel tight and when I'd lay down it, it would would hurt even more um which is basically the, the tumour pushing on the um, on the sinuses and, and, and various other things in, in the head. Uh, and that kind of explains why I didn't sleep very well as well. When you put all these things together, I'm like, oh, OK, everything makes sense. So every single one of those could be easily passed off as something that someone might consider as, you know, not an issue or something you can live with or something you can manage or something you can get around easily. But to me, I mean, insomnia is a, ma- a major one. Um, so many people suffer from it. And, you know, the idea of, oh, I just thought it was down to stress. Even just that remark to me is just so jarring because it's like, why are we accepting that it's OK to have insomnia because of stress? And yet this is kind of like the norm now, isn't it? It's, you know, we kind of go, oh, well, you know, I'm a bit stressed. It's just normal. You know, I have to run my family or I've got to, uh, you know, earn the money or whatever. But actually, is that, you know, do you kind of look at that now in a slightly different way as to how you interpreted how you were feeling then and what you'd expect from your life going forward? I do. And I think I've, I've taken a lot from this time out. I mean, I was... Uh, possibly the, the word is addicted to but I was using um, sleeping tablets all the time because otherwise I couldn't sleep and it started by saying I've got an important meeting tomorrow or a big day tomorrow I'm doing a presentation tomorrow so I need to sleep properly but then every day became important and every day I needed to t- take the tablets and couldn't sleep without them and, and I'm not I'm not taking them anymore thankfully um, I was sort of on this I, I suppose a lot of people get in that sort of you're just on the treadmill of working family kids to bed get the laptop out chill out for a little bit maybe struggle to sleep wake up check the email check the calendar back-to-back appointments and there's no time for no time for any thought i suppose and i took after the surgery i took consciously took two weeks off work i didn't open my email for a week 
I didn't even check my phone for four days. And I found that even though I was um, not feeling great because I'd had neurosurgery and someone had drilled into my skull, I found that my my mind was, was working better and I was coming up with new ideas, new strategies, new things I could do. Um, one very simple change I made to my life is to get a small notebook that I write ideas down in every day. So my mind's always working and, and the problem is I'd get an idea I kind of work on it on the fly and been able to do something with it and probably forget about it. So now what I do is to save my mind the trouble of remembering everything. I just write stuff down in this little book. Uh, every morning I've given myself an hour to sit with a bigger book, coloured pens, and start working through ideas before I've even opened my, my emails. Uh, I don't take my phone up to the bedroom with me anymore the first thing I do in the morning isn't to check the news and to check my email as let's face it when did you last watch the news and it was something positive when did you last open your email it was something positive people normally email you if they got a problem you rarely get an email saying brilliant well done and I, I found just starting the day on more of a positive note helps um, so I think it has had, had an effect on me absolutely and any had you learned about that concept from somebody else or had you just come across it on your own Everything that I've learned, I've learned from someone else and adapted what other people have done, because you know, we're not talking about reinventing the wheel for rocket science here. It's uh, I, I suppose the notebook thing came from a few. There's um, a book called Productivity Ninja. I forget who wrote it. I think he used a little notebook. Uh, I, I guess a lot of what I do is just snippets of what other people have done and, and work and I tailor them to my own needs. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting is I'm assuming you had some of this knowledge prior to the surgery, but you only actually implemented it once you were in this position where you kind of felt that you needed to. That's right. Um, you could say I should practice what I preach, but when I used to work with clients, I taught them through productivity tips and how to manage your inbox and allow you set yourself a morning routine give yourself time to think but then I wouldn't do it myself because I was almost in that sort of rut of not having time to do it um, but you do have to put effort into doing it otherwise life just kind of sucks you down I suppose absolutely and this concept of time which I find amazing we don't have time for anything and actually that's not true it's the case if we do have the time we've got the same amount of time in the day every day that we usually have it's just that what we choose to spend it on and what we choose to put our energy into prior to something else and I think that that's quite an interesting one so the morning routine um I've done a lot of different styles of morning routine over the last few months just trialing all kinds of different things that work for me um trying to get to something that I think actually I'll, that'll stick or I can really make myself do that but it still takes effort and, and a change of kind of mindset and habit but what is it about that kind of morning that you now realize about the, the time because obviously you can choose to go and play with your kids you can choose to eat a healthy breakfast you can choose to go for a run or you can choose to you know get sucked into your emails and then realize it's 12 o'clock so what do you kind of think about that now it's I mean I, I still don't have I, I have a morning routine but it's a very loose one because uh, I've got two children and and we've now got two kittens as well so throw those variables into the mix it's very hard to have a regimented routine and you can actually cause yourself more stress by having a regimented routine and then not sticking to it so I have a, uh, a structure that I like 
to work to in the morning. Uh, and that structure doesn't include emails or the news because I'm not going to get any benefit to my life by watching the latest coronavirus briefing or the latest Brexit news. If, if anything serious happens, someone will, will will tell me. And another tip that I I, um, that I do as well is because obviously everybody you know, we need news. I, I work in business management consulting. I need to know what's going on. But I've tailored my Google feed to just give me the news that I want. So I get news on financial technology, the software streams I'm interested in, um, and so the news that I'm interested in comes to me. So anything that's got coronavirus or uh, or other things that I'm really not interested in I, I kind of don't read. Interesting so you're kind of protecting yourself from certain streams and making sure that you're actually aware of things you need to be aware of that's interesting so when it comes to the brain you've obviously had major brain surgery which I remember I contacted you uh, just afterwards when I found out you were having it and I just sort of said you know be careful don't rush back to work <laughs> um and you were like oh luckily I've got a, a wife that who's not going to let me <laughs> which is really really helpful um I, I believe that, that is what you said wasn't it I think yes I did yeah, yeah yeah I'm just checking um and I thought that was brilliant because you know you've got somebody who's going to look out for you when it may be that you feel that you need to rush back to something was it that you kind of did rely on her to do that or was it that you actually still you realized for yourself even if she hadn't been there to do that that you really could not go straight back into work and that you know your brain needed to take time to heal I think at first before the procedure I just thought I'll be fine I know they I know they say um, six to eight weeks recovery but that's they don't know me I'll be recovered in a week um, but then after the procedure it really made me realize how we take our health for granted and literally just being able to get out of bed in the morning uh, walk look at something hold a conversation with someone um, that was taken away from me for, for, for three days and I then thought you know we are lucky if we can get out of bed and, and do our go about our daily lives we're lucky because plenty of people can't so I, I guess that, that the actual procedure itself made me uh, because there was actually no way I could but then coming out of that when I started to feel slightly better my my mentality is to try and push myself right I've managed to walk a mile now let's go out running I've managed to um, watch tv for half an hour now let's get back on the on the client video calls um, but so I did kind of need my wife a few times to just say no that's not a good idea take it slow so you were kind of wanting to get back into things because you want to obviously recover and you want to get back to your sort of life as you know it but you were also much more aware that actually there's things some things you couldn't do yet and it was only when you started to feel slightly capable that you started to push yourself yeah but I still had to be careful I mean because I, I used to go to the well, so I do still go to the gym a lot but my first session back at the gym I just felt so weak um that the, my, my trainer said wow you look you look thin um, I'd lost nearly 10 kilos in three weeks. I wasn't exactly big anyway. That's um, a huge amount. I know. And well, I'm, I'm, I'm now, I was in, in stone. I was 13 and a half. I'm now just over 12 stone. Um, you know, I'm six foot two, so it's quite lean. Why but, did you um, lose the weight? Because the, the condition was making my body hold on to excess water. Um, ah. So 
when I was younger, I used to, to be very good at running. So very good. I used to be okay at running. So I could I could could whiz around park run in about 21 minutes. Um, I used to do ultra marathons. The furthest I ran was from um, Carlisle to Gateshead, 69 miles. But over the last four years, I've been getting so annoyed with my running because I've been I felt heavy and slow. And obviously, if I'm running around with 10 extra kilos, um, then that explains it. Absolutely. And when you first had the surgery and in those first few days, how did it feel in terms of could you look at anything? Could you listen to anything? Could you concentrate on anything? How how severe was the effectively the damage on your brain during that time? Uh, well, it, it wasn't technically the brain. It was just below the brain, just below the hypothalamus behind the optic nerve. Okay. Um, but but it is neurosurgery. They they go up through the nose and into the head. Um, the the first day, well, I, I had the procedure at one o'clock um, in the afternoon. Back in my room for about half four. Didn't really sleep that night. Didn't feel too good, but was then discharged the next morning because they don't want people sticking around. And I, I felt. Quick. I felt like I was having a, a very, very, very bad hangover and a sort of bleeding nose. Um, but then the real pain started in day two and three, where, where you know I've never felt pain in my head. Literally, my, my whole head, every time my heart beat, felt like my head was going to explode, and any tiny noise would, would feel like my head's going to break. And I had 27 hours of that, not able to, to eat or look at anything, um, and slowly improved from from there. Oh wow! I mean, that's quite extreme. Did you have any painkillers for that, or any? Yeah, but they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. Oh wow! I had ibuprofen, paracetamol, and codeine, but yeah, didn't didn't do anything. So I did. I gave up with the codeine. There's no point. And you told me on a a previous call that you sort of struggled to even walk up the stairs. Yeah, I remember when I I recovered at my at my parents house because it was easier than being at home with our children and it's also unfair on them to, to say oh, be quiet because I've got a headache uh, and I, I was I sort of lived upstairs for three for, for three days and then I remember climbing stairs and get off I feel out of breath climbing the stairs and then sort of gradually pushed myself further and further and went for a walk around the garden and applauded myself it was strange looking back at it absolutely and I mean, I, I was in a, a, a different position, but I had um, a concussion a few years ago and it was one where I came off my bicycle and I landed on my chin and had five okay. stitches in my chin um, and a bit, a little bit of bruising on my hip and um, barely anything on my hands. It literally just went straight wow. onto my face. Yeah. And so uh, I was luckily taken straight to a local kind of uh, emergency unit and then, and then I went in for um sort of plastic surgery department they stitched me up now I thought oh I'm okay and I hadn't realized that I blacked out or not but I believe I did and it was one of those ones where it was very difficult to get across to other people as well as to even conceptualize myself how damaged I actually was because it was on the inside not on the outside and I think this is quite interesting when it comes to whether it's internal health issues that you can't see like whether it's hormonal whether it's brain related whether it's um, you know gland related whatever it is you know you can't always see that or you know um, it might be in your gut or anything uh, or whether it's sort of me- uh, sort of what we call sort of mental health but it was that uh, stage of of coming home and whereas at the hospital I've been 
on painkillers and I was sort of looking at my phone and you know not even thinking like you obviously shouldn't be looking at a phone during the <laughs> stage of waiting for your operation but I was there for you know it was hardly an operation obviously so stitching but scrubbing out my face with like Brillo pads and oh. you know it was quite it was quite horrendous yeah. I believe I sobbed through the uh, injections in my face and it was just one of those ones where I hadn't realized how how damaged my brain was and I was you know it was hurting yes and I was sort of looking at my my messages and updating family and friends and then literally after that I just realized I can't actually do that and I spent an entire week staring at a wall yeah, um, yeah. and I didn't have the pain in the way that you did with the absolute throbbing unless I tried to look at phones listen to music concentrate on a conversation or or look at anything complicated but it was just that that utter shock that I could just sit there I wasn't even bored I was so like I was so incapable of actually even being bored or even being interested in doing anything that I just sat there and stared at the wall for a week and it was over the next week I started to be able to think about climbing stairs and even then I was breathless and then three weeks later I went on on a holiday with my family and I really struggled to go for a walk and I lay down on a bench and everybody was like come on Jane you know (laughs) you're you're so weak come on off you go and nobody realized quite how damaged um I was in just from my brain and how much that affected my energy and I think that was really interesting that when I sort of realized that you were obviously having something done near your brain um I just wondered whether you might also think oh I'll just be able to rush back in and and you know hearing that you've also had that similar sort of lack of ability although I think actually your recovery was potentially a bit quicker um, mine took actually up to a year to feel normal Um, and I went back to work after a few weeks Um, I think it was about four weeks or so and it took me an entire day to, to do half an hour's work so <laughs> um and it's it's now only having experienced that that I go we rely on our brains so much we rely on our bodies so much and we have no appreciation for how much they do for us and how yeah. much they support us and when we don't look after them whether it be rushing back to work whether you just had when you just had a concussion or whether it be you know not eating and sleeping and exercising uh, in the very basic of terms we actually we're really relying on them and yet we don't give them the respect they deserve yeah. I think I think you're you're right and particularly when when it's the um when there's something like that that you can't see so in you know in, in my case um it's real keyhole surgery up through the nose drill a small hole in the skull and and poke some implements in in the olden days they would have shaved the head and and cut a hole in your skull and gone in that way and then there'd be a more of a visible mark um it's it's no less intrusive keyhole surgery these days i mean my my wife had had her cruciate ligaments done uh, and literally tiny tiny little keyhole but it's major major surgery um, you know, again, in the olden days, cruciate ligament was a um, 15 centimetre long cut on the leg. And then people look and go, wow, you've had major surgery. So I guess there's sort of two parts to it. First of all is is you yourself knowing your your limits and, and what you're capable of doing and what you can't do. But then there's the, the external and it's not being afraid to tell people how you're feeling uh, rather than sort of trying to push yourself yourself on, which I probably normally normally would have done. Absolutely. And do you feel that if you now 
um, potentially either got a bit overstressed or or um, had a bit too much on your plate and potentially you've recovered well, but actually your recovery may not be as good as you think. And you may have you may hit a sort of um, you may get more affected than before from a sort of high stress situations. Would you now feel comfortable to say, actually, I've overdone it. I need to step back more than I would have done before. Um, probably not to tell other people, but I would probably manage it myself because that's how I tend to, to deal with things. But I'm, I've decided not to get stressed about things that don't that don't matter. Interesting. <laughs> um, how does one do that? Uh, just discipline, I suppose. Um, and just thinking, does this really matter in the grand scheme of things? Um, trying to sort of you know I've always been a great believer in trying to turn negatives into positives it's easier said than than, than done but um, you know for example there's um, if something bad happens at work you think okay right that's uh, that's not great but let's move on from it it's not going to affect my life Uh, no one's going to die I'm still going to have my children when I go home I'm still going to have a house so let's move on and look to some positives in life rather than dwelling on on something negative that's happened Absolutely. And has this experience changed anything about what you want to do in the world in the terms of, you know, are you still looking to stay in the same career type? Are you looking to raise more awareness on anything or are you a bit more conscious of supporting others when they go through anything? Has it has it made any changes in the in the way in which you see the world or people around you compared to how you saw it before? Yeah, I mean, everything in life is an experience and everything shapes who we are to this day, uh, both good and, and, and bad. You know, people who were who were bullied through their school years has, has helped to shape them who they are now. People who've been in horrific accidents and recovered from it or partially recovered goes to shape who they are now. Uh, and, and, you know, and before this, I, I was always very um, sort of community aware. So I do school student mentoring I've done mentoring in in prisons before and, and uh, written a book on employment skills and always trying to sort of help people but I guess this has taught me more about positivity and, and the mind and being slightly more aware of, of things um, and so I'm kind of kind of sort of add that to to what I work on with people rather than being so heads down let's work flat out take more time for myself uh, encourage other people to do the same Absolutely. And had this been a different story, had it been one of those ones where it was inoperable, it was a a different story, you know, would you have changed the way in which you live your life on a day to day basis um, with your family? I don't know. It's difficult to say, really, um, because certainly um, the few years leading up to my exit from the business, I was very busy. I was always busy. Uh, I still made time for the children and the family, but sort of forced upon us this year was was the you know everyone's working less apart from key workers, for example. But I, I was actually forced to take more time with the family, which was good. Um, I think had it been a different diagnosis, I don't think anyone c- can really say for sure. But you know, if I got told I only had five years left, then well, no, I wouldn't sell my soul f- to work. Um, you make adjustments to make the most out of what you do because let's face it, I think the only reason most of us work well I enjoy working but we do it to provide a life for our, our family and a future for our families as well. 
Absolutely. And I mean, you say you may have 10 or 15 years less of your life going forward. And let's say you were going to live till 80. That might mean you're looking at sort of 70 or 65. Do you now think that actually the quality of your life is more important than the length of your life? Because you'd be better to live to 65, 70 and actually enjoy all the days up to it and be in good health and be able to um, do what you want to do and to, to give uh, that time to your children and to enjoy it than to just try to get old uh, it's a, a tough one really um, what do you want to do be, be 100 years old but have lived a, a boring dull life and, and and have no friends well no I'd probably rather have a shorter more more full life but I think most people would say they'd rather have both um, yeah. I don't know really I'm 43 now I don't really feel 43 I suppose this is what it will be like when I'm 63 but it's it's a tough question to answer really because nobody wants to wish themselves a shorter life but I, I do think it's important to live a full life and, and also to, to 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 give to other people um, because I say to my children what you know what do you remember more like a present that someone's given you or an experience that someone's given you and they remember the experiences um and you know when when you're dead and gone people don't remember how much money or what car you drove they remember what you did for other people absolutely absolutely and i think the other thing that i think find quite interesting is uh one you're a man so it's uh there's always a different viewpoint between uh, men and women on certain things but i'm interested because you've had this experience but if you were told by a medical professional uh within this kind of traditional medical realm that uh this is going to take time off your life but that you found that there were potentially some holistic things you could do that would actually sort of combat that, uh, which which can happen with various different conditions. I'm not saying that's the case with yours. If you found that there was potential that a holistic route might help you to actually live that bit longer as well, would you as a man having gone through this be willing to look into that? Um, and, And how do you feel about sort of holistic in general? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I would de- definitely do that. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite anti the pharmaceutical industry. You know, we all survive for, for millions of years without the drugs that they try and sell to us. I'd much rather try and find a natural cure. Um, I've been taking um, loads of mushroom supplements since my surgery, a special combination of, uh, of, of, of mushrooms that are very good to help the brain repair. Uh, I think, you know, a good healthy diet is better than a bad diet and loads of pharmaceuticals so absolutely I would be up for that yeah brilliant brilliant and and have you ever sort of heard of breath work as as part of a kind of um as a basically a way in which to get our bodies in the best state they can be I have and when I get disciplined enough to give it a go I I will do um I um you think about the, the Wim Hof character not Wim Hof specifically no, no. Okay. um but I, I'm currently training in breathwork so that's why okay. I ask I'm interested well. to see from a from a you know uh, from a different person's point of view but I'm, I'm training in order to be a breathwork coach and the concept of it being that actually we start with a breath we end with a breath and yep. actually it's one of the things that yes it happens on its own but you can also control it and it's something that when we breathe the way in which we our body reacts whether we're sort of shallow breathing you know and and, and panicked and worried and stressed or whether we're very calmly breathing slowly through our nose and sort of calm it really affects how our body works and it affects how we 
how we react to things and it's kind of you know chicken and egg egg and chicken kind of situation that um you know your breath can make your body stressed and your stressed body can make your breath uh, fast uh, and vice versa so I just find it interesting from something like that you know because it, to me it feels like yes lots of people are aware of breath and you've obviously mentioned a well-known name but is it something that you'd even thought about that actually starting with the absolute basics we talk about diet and we talk about um, exercise and things but actually the absolute basics of just our, our, our fundamental way of being in the moment is that something you've kind of thought about to that degree I have definitely yeah because I've come from a, a sports background running for example if you're running and you're breathing very short and shallow you're not getting all the air you need so so I, I train myself to breathe slowly during exercise um, I remember years ago when we went to a, an antenatal class for our first daughter was born we were sort of counting how many breaths we take a minute I only took four breaths a minute uh, sometimes e even less and I am conscious well I just do it unconsciously now but just sort of very very slow breathing um, and certainly when I'm putting my my daughters to bed I make a conscious effort to, to breathe slow so they pick up on that vibe as well and try and help them to to breathe slow as well when they're when they're trying to go to sleep because if your sort of body's breathing quickly it's gonna you're gonna trick your body into thinking that you're going to be stressed and jump to action absolutely and, and do you out of interest do you breathe through your nose or through your uh, mouth most of the time probably in through nose out through mouth i don't really thought about it i'd probably say <laughs> yeah no, nose more than mouth i think that's a good sign <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign it was just an interesting one because it's something that obviously I'm I'm currently um working towards and it's something that I'm very excited about I just find it really interesting to talk to somebody who's you know been in a situation that um you would want to try and improve the quality mm, of life yeah. and the length of life as much as possible yeah. and there are these very basic things we can do and yet we give them very little um time and headspace whereas you know we are so quick to well if there's a drug to do it then i'll take that or if there's yeah. a you know if there's a quick way i'll do that but it's not this awareness of well actually if you change the way in which you live on a day-to-day -day basis in a very simplistic way it can make these huge changes mm. yeah no no it's definitely i'm just sitting here now breathing through my nose but but yeah you're right something as simple as 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 breathing changing the way you breathe it doesn't cost you any money it doesn't even take up any any of your time so no it's just awareness isn't it <laughs> yeah. and retraining <laughs> brilliant well thank you for that um is there anything else you would like to share uh with the listeners with in relation to your situation or anybody who is experiencing anything that, uh, like it uh, i think we, we've we've covered a lot but i think uh, uh, probably one thing is just on on, on positivity it's it's very hard at the moment to to be uh, positive because we're, we're in quite difficult, very difficult times and potentially going to be, you know, we've had all of our usual social supports taken away from us, particularly during the summer. We you know the pubs were gone, the restaurants, we couldn't see our friends, couldn't see our family sometimes. And and we've thrown into the mix of the anxiety that that, that may happen again and the anxiety we might get get ill or whatever else. I think it is difficult to be positive, but one thing that I've learned, again, I can't remember who I got this tip from, but it's by no means a new idea, is to just write down every, at the start and end of every day something that's, that's gone well during the day. Um, and, and it just doesn't take long at all. 
after work or um, when the kids are in bed just to write down two or three things that have gone really well during the day and, and keep focusing on them and rather than thinking about all the things that have gone badly and the uh, the latest updates and worrying about what might happen so just trying to take time to consciously be positive about things um, it's, it's not easy to do but it certainly has helped me absolutely great advice and what does it mean to you to live more of a life um, just to enjoy what you're doing and take time um, you know before my surgery if I went out biking or running I would go out biking or running and I would go high intensity for the length of time that I had before my next meeting or the next thing I had to do and may not take time to enjoy what I was doing I'd always be looking at a watch seeing whether I was going fast or slow um, but I think it's just take time to enjoy what you're doing so another another change I've made is I've got two phones now it's I've, I've got a, a 2g phone so at weekends or if I'm out with the children I divert calls from my other phone to my 2g phone and, and stick that in my pocket so I'm not looking at emails or twitter or the news or notifications or whatever else i'm just literally i've got a phone in my pocket if someone wants to ring me they ring me if i want to ring them i'll ring them by um, a 2g phone do you mean like what we call a dumb phone the old-fashioned yeah, that's right it, it'll, it will ring phone, just a little tiny screen like an old nokia yeah. you can ring people and they can call you and send text messages fantastic um, and i've i found that just simply by doing that i'm not sitting scrolling aimlessly through rubbish on my phone when I'm out with the children, I'm actually watching what they're doing and enjoying nature and enjoying where I am. And were you like that before or is this more something you've developed into recently? I think it's what I've developed into. I mean, I was always conscious never to be one of these parents that's on this phone all the time. I mean, you, you see people like taking their children out for a, for a father and daughter meal, but the dad's sitting there on his phone. And what's the point in that? So I never did that. But the phone is always there so you do quickly glance or notification i'll do that later so i don't bother with that now and you know what's the worst that's going to happen you reply to an email three hours late well that's tough if it's urgent someone will call me absolutely well thank you so much for sharing no everything today it's been really really great to talk to you and um the fact that you talk about positivity is brilliant because that's coming on to our next episode about positivity as well so uh, really really well done um but thank you very much for your time and i look forward to speaking to you again soon and hope your Excellent. recovery continues at the rate you'd hope thank you very much jane thank you There was definitely some food for thought in that podcast episode. So thank you, Tim. If you'd like to reach out to Tim, he's on LinkedIn under Tim Guest or on Facebook at Consulting 51. As usual, you can get hold of me as well via Instagram at Incremental Jane on my website, www.canidoitmyself.com or I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn under Jane Tarrant. I look forward to hearing from you if you'd like to get in touch. See you next time.